Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dander and shortly, and of course our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now first up, as the soccer is gear up for World Cup qualifying, Graham Arnold's men had an excellent hit out against Mexico in Dallas on Sunday afternoon our time. Now while the end result was 2 all, Australia was good value for their 2-0 lead and would be disappointed to concede too late, but against a hostile crowd in an environment they'll need to get used to ahead of the 2026 World Cup and on a fake grass service that looked patently ridiculous. This was a first-class effort. Ten of Paramount Plus's Simon Hill called the game. We'll talk to him about his thoughts 24 hours on. Then in what was a bumper weekend of football during the international break, Ukraine secured a draw for the ages against England in what was an ostensible home game in Poland. As Jonathan Northcroft wrote in the Times, for Ukraine in their biggest home match since Russia invaded. This was more than a draw, more than a game. It was a mighty moment of honour protected and defiant shown. A man who is passionate about Ukrainian football and who's been a force of nature since the war with Russia began, Andrew Todos from Zorylodonsk, the leading English language source of Ukrainian football, will join us to discuss what it means for the people of Ukraine and how far he thinks they can take this form as they sit above Italy and about to play them in a qualifying position for Euro 2024. Edge, plenty to talk about. I know you've got some pretty strong opinions on not only what went on in Dallas, but the absurd playing surface, too small, too narrow, too ugly, too likely to cause injuries, but we got a result nonetheless. Hi, Rob. Greetings to uh, our listeners in Australia and all around the world, uh, wherever you are on this planet Earth. Uh, yeah, focus it shifted from Matildas to the Socceroos in a big way, didn't it, Rob? Uh, last weekend in Dallas at the Cowboys Stadium, the Socceroos blew a two-goal advantage. We ended with a draw, and uh, importantly, um, it was that adventurous artificial pitch. I think adventurous is code for shithouse. <laughs> and uh, that was obviously the big talking point because Jackson Irvine, Australia's captain, uh, he had a nasty ankle injury. Then when you combine that injury with... Um, Matt Leckie's knee injury sustained at training during the week, albeit that was not as a result of any um, artificial pitch surface. Um, the trip to Cowboy Stadium was a hefty one for the Socceroos, wasn't it? However, I still think it was a step in the right direction and a further advancement in the Socceroos' uh, development, no doubt about that. But um, we, we've walked away from Dallas licking our wounds, Rob. Yeah, and before we get to Willem, Derek, uh, uh, have you seen a more absurd playing surface than this one? I, I was trying to work out why it looked so ridiculous, and and I, I did a little bit of homework, and and one of the things that occurred to me was that on an American gridiron, when it's laid out for the game, there are obviously a lot of markings going in all sorts of directions. So the patchwork nature of the playing surface uh, looked worse when it was set up for football as opposed to the way it would look if it was set up for the American coach. Yeah, it, it visually it was just a bit of an atrocious thing. Never mind to play on it. Uh, I think the proponents of artificial surfaces argue that it, it provides a fairer game because it provides you know even bounce and a more consistent playing field in terms of the football. But clearly, this pitch that had been assembled by sort of IKEA tiles, um, you know, it certainly didn't didn't do the job and even for an international friendly i don't think anyone you know i wouldn't want my you know division c heelsville futsal teams play on a pitch like that just like an injury waiting to happen and i think everyone was very lucky just to get out of it with that serious injury yeah, you mentioned there, Derek, no serious injury. Edge, you mentioned earlier the Matt Leckie uh, one. That was done pre-match, and that looks like the more serious one. Initially reported as a knock on the knee, now looking at between uh, six weeks and three months. So that's going to put a significant dint into Melbourne City's start to their uh, A-League uh, season and also Leckie's personal preparation for the Asian Cup. So the wash-up was to all uh, with Mexico in Dallas. Plenty going on. Three penalties, debuts for Cam Burgess and Sam Silvera. Rolled ankle to uh, to Jackson Irvine. Uh, Ed, your wash-up was, yeah, your, your summation was pretty good there. I think it would have been nice to win, but they probably got out of it uh, with what they needed. And then, yeah, a couple of, uh, couple of negatives. Um, you'll, uh, you'll, have to, you'll have to roll with those. But yeah, to, to get over the States, Gloria Arnold was 
oddly glowing about the whole uh, experience. He was clearly very fond of the facilities pitch aside and the uh, the ability to get to the states and prepare sort of mentally for the uh, for the twenty twenty six World Cup. But we'll chat to Simon Hill in a little bit uh, more detail shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think um, the whole look. It's the first time Australia's been. Uh, in the United States, uh, that's obviously on the top of everybody's minds. Uh, they're preparing to get some experience in that environment. Um, yeah, I, I guess the Cowboy Stadium, that sort of pitch is not going to be acceptable for World Cup. So we probably need to get past it. I'm a little bit confused why they would have agreed to play on that surface. I'm not sure what the backstory is. Well, El Clasico was played there a couple of months ago, a, a, a friendly version of it as well. And I, I couldn't find a lot of controversy around the playing service. I thought that the Spanish uh, press would have been all over it, but but there was just nothing to speak of that that um, that seemed to, to reflect the kind of uh, response that the Australian media have, um, have displayed. It's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Obviously... You know, artificial pitches for men's World Cup and now women's World Cup have been banned, so mm. we're not going to see that at the World Cup. But yeah, I'm just a bit surprised that uh, the uh, the honchos at Football Australia would have agreed to do that. Craig Goodwin, speaking of our Socceroos, has left Adelaide United for Saudi Arabia for the third time, returning to Al Wada on a deal reportedly worth $2.5 million a season. The Reds are expected to receive a seven-figure transfer fee for Goodwin, who was contracted until mid-2025. He played 32 games with Al Wada in 2019-20 and 18 with uh, another Saudi club, Abba, uh, in 21-2022. Edge, we speak so often about marquee players and sugar hits and what that actually does for the competition long term i think what has been proven over the length of the a-league is that the most lasting and significant impact um are made by the likes of goodwin young guys who we see come through and then um and then contribute to the club at uh, as, as senior players as they grow older and go on to bigger and better things whether that be bigger club football or, or in Craig's uh, case, success uh, at the World Cup. So this is a bit of a loss for, for the league, let alone Adelaide, on the eve of the season. But at his age, and considering he has gone back and forth a few times, you would suspect he will be back with Adelaide one day. Yes, his message to the fans was that, that would not be the last time they saw him play in Adelaide Red. So obviously, he's going to go across to Saudi Arabia and pick up a, a cheque, which it has been described as a life-changing contract. So you can only congratulate for him. I know the family a little bit. They're absolutely sensational. In fact, he got married on the weekend to his longtime partner, Caitlin. They have a little boy together already. So um, Craig Goodwin's life's in a good place. Go to Saudi Arabia. Do well, Craig. Grab the money. Come back and we'll celebrate you. And and hopefully we get to see him straighty stuff for the Socceroos because he was one of the better performers at the World Cup in Qatar, wasn't he, Willem? No, he most certainly was. I think he's probably still first choice, despite the fact he wasn't in the most recent squad. That's probably solely to do with the fact that the A-League is out of season. But yeah, he's very much within the first sort of 14 players, I think, in Graham Arnold's reckoning ahead of the Asian Cup. Heading abroad, Luis Rubiales has resigned as both the president of the Spanish Football Federation and vice president of UEFA's executive committee. Earlier this week, Jenny Hermoso filed a sexual assault complaint against Rubiales following the kiss at the World Cup final, which he claims was not consensual. Meanwhile, the Spanish football board, newly formed in the wake of the scandal, last week sacked manager Jorge Vilda, replacing him with assistant Monse Tomi. Tomi will be the first woman to manage the Spanish women's team. And Rob, this will be dealt with by the Spanish High Court, uh, given that the alleged offence took place outside uh, of Spain. So the two key heads have rolled. Probably took a couple of weeks longer than some had expected, but whether uh, that does then lead to lasting change is going to take a little bit longer to assess, you would say. Well, just what an incredible story this has turned out to be. We were, as many other football observers around the world were watching what was going on in Spain and lots of other countries around the world in the lead up to the World Cup, lots of controversy in various countries. So we don't need to name check them all, but Spain was top of the list uh, after the, the strike and the fact that 13 players weren't selected and the fact that, that Vilda was defiant, that Rubiales was defiant and they seemed to have won. They seemed to have had their victory because they didn't pick most of the players. The team went well throughout the tournament and they were just sitting back thinking, we're in the right. Look at us. We didn't pick these players. Uh, we were right all along. And the players went out and Julie won the World Cup. And when the full-time whistle went, you couldn't have been blamed for thinking, these two guys are going to get away with it. They are absolutely going to get away with it. Blue murder. But then Rubiales, as William Shakespeare famously wrote in Hamlet, 
hoisted himself on his own petard. He blew himself up there for everybody to see. And that was the, the trigger coming out of the grenade, so to speak, and the end of uh, their, their tenure. And the Spanish uh, women will now be a, a, a beacon of hope for other women's teams and nations around the world as a result of this. So I just wonder whether I'm being uh, too optimistic in my assessment about how it's all played out. But ultimately, if they hadn't have won, I know we've discussed this before and others have discussed this before. Um, I know, uh, Derek, you've got views on this, but first to you, Edge. I mean, what's your assessment of, uh, of the way that it's played out and, and, and what the future looks like? I'll tell you what surprised me was that uh, Luis Rubales decided to announce his retirement on Piers Morgan Uncensored. That surprised me the most. Um, he got on there and Piers Morgan obviously got the scoop. And Piers Morgan looked generally surprised when he asked him the question whether he was going to resign. So he did. I think he said to Morgan, um, some friends very close to me said, Luis, now you have to focus on your dignity to continue your life. If not, you are probably going to damage people you love and the sport you love. That's my bad uh, impersonation of his accent. But Derek, um, interesting form of um, um, media to make your uh, resignation announcement, would you think? Yeah, I think that um, sums it all up, really. If that's your your outlet that you're gonna that you're going to go to, um, you know, I'm quite looking forward to not to talking about Mr. Rubiales ever again. Um, I'm a bit fed up of these uh, guys that run football organisations who, you know, think that they that, that they have this uh, god complex, and it, you know, they've just got to remember they are administrators. They are there to make sure that the game runs, make sure that people are played, paid, make sure the sponsorship uh, and other deals. They're not there to stand on the podium at the end and reflect the glory. They're not there to make stupid speeches like Gianni Infantino. They're administrators. Just administrate the game, stay out the game, let the players take the credit for the game. So I, I am very happy not to talk about this man ever again. Done, I pledge. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Less than a month now until the Socceroos play a pair of very high-stakes friendlies against England and New Zealand in London. Graham Arnold, Edge has promised a few goals and a stumping against Old Blighty, and there is still time uh, to jump on board and make sure you're there to see it, is there not? There is absolutely plenty of time to get on board and go and see the Socceroos play two matches in England, in London, do all the tourism highlights, see Edge Postacoglu's Tottenham as well as part of the program. See Sam Kerr play for Chelsea as part of the program. Head out to a League Two game at AFC Wimbledon and also go and see the NFL, which happens to be in town. So how about that for a tour, Rob? You might have to get on board, Rob. Mate, you're just making me jealous. I would love to be there. I couldn't think of, of well, I could think of a few things that would equal it, but, uh, but I would absolutely adore being there mate so if you're listening and you're even remotely tempted i encourage you to get onto the Granny gold army website and register your interest but apart from the socceroos which we've dissected already well what have you what have you got to wrap up uh uh, yeah, just an abbreviated version this week, Rob. Even when the uh, the bulk of our Matildas don't play, Ellie Carpenter finds a way to pick up silverware. She's won the French uh, Super Cup with Lyon, the Trophy <laughs> du Champion. Uh, 2-0 win over PSG. That is her sixth uh, trophy during her time with the club. Tegan Micah, you would have noticed as well, Rob also made her debut for Liverpool in the second half of a pre-season clash with Manchester City. So the English Women's Super League returns on the 1st of October. And a couple of matches to look forward to as club football returns this weekend on Friday night Kevin Muscat's Yokohama F Marinos host Sagan Tosu as we spoke about with Scott McIntyre last week they need to keep winning uh, if they're to chase down the two point gap that they find themselves uh, conceding with eight matches to play Klamowski and FC Tokyo have the wounded giant in Kawasaki on Saturday night Edge Mas Luongo returns to his former club Sheffield Wednesday with Ipswich Town sitting second in the championship and on Monday morning Matt Ryan and RZ Alkmaar are top of the Dutch Eredivisie uh, they head to Rotterdam, looking to maintain that record. Excellent. Well done, Willem. Edge, sorry, I talked over you. You had something to say there, mate? I just wanted to special shout out to Stefan Mork, who scored his second winner in extra time for his uh, J-League 2 team, um, Fagiano Okiyama. And uh, if you 
just he's a good person to follow on social media, Rob. He's a superstar, yeah. Stephen Morky. Does get up to all sorts yeah. of all sorts of good stuff up there. And they, I don't know who the player is that one of his teammates does an amazing routine whipping up the fans after they win the game. So get on Stephen Mork's uh, social media and see that it's uh, just a little tidbit to yeah. give yourself some entertainment, Rob. Yes, it would have been a fair bit to say on the allocation of funding in sport in Australia as well. Oh yeah, that he wrote a very long tweet with uh, some very well researched posts that uh, got a lot of traction. So if you want to um, to to educate yourself on funding of sport in Australia, get onto Stephen Mort's uh, X handle, and uh, you want to pronounce that name of his club uh, uh, clearly, don't you, Edge? Because there's a little pitfall in there with. Uh, uh, That's why uh, I raised it, Fagiato Okiyama. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I think you did, actually. Well well done. Okay, um, after the break, we're going to talk to Simon, or at least uh, Edge and Willem are going to talk to Simon. Uh, he was in his usual imperious form describing the game on the weekend, but I always like to hear Simon unplugged. You get to hear him describe the game as expertly as anybody does in the world, but he's got a lot of strong opinions on what goes on and he's not afraid to express them. When he's asked the right questions, and I know the boys will ask them next, so stick around. Simon Hill is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The Socceroos may have had the better of their friendly against Mexico in Dallas, but any plaudits won for style will be countered by concerns around game management after shipping two goals to finish all square. Simon Hill called the action for Network 10 and Paramount Plus. He's always generous with his time, and he joins us once again off the back of the clash. Simon, welcome. Good to be with you guys. How are you? Well, thank you. Would you say that's a, a fair summation? Form and intensity was probably what you'd want to see against a side ranked uh, as high as Mexico. They are 12th in the world, but then a disappointing way to close out considering we are four months from a major tournament. Yeah, look, I thought uh, the first half was pretty good, to be honest. Um, they were very well organised defensively. They played on the counter. Um, didn't have an awful lot of possession, but uh, you know, you'd expect Mexico to come out given it was technically their home game and try and dominate. Um, and I thought Australia dealt with the threat, such as it was in the first half, pretty comfortably. Um, second half, a little bit of a different story. They weren't, uh, you know, quite as in control. Um, and then, unfortunately, you know, two two errors really by Cameron Burgess and Harry Sutar, or maybe it was Matt Ryan. We don't know for sure. Certainly, miscommunication between the two for the second goal. Um, and in the end, I think obviously they'll be disappointed not to have come away with the win, having been two goals up. Um, but, you know, some positives to take from it, as well as uh, a couple of things to work on. The pitch itself was a major talking point before, during and after the clash. Never ideal when it attracts from what we all tune in or, or roll through the turnstiles to actually see. Graham Arnold, under no circumstances, ever really criticises his players, but he did use this as an excuse for Matt Ryan and Harry Sutar, uh, and also did mention that he thought that the Burgess penalty that was conceded also uh, may have been in part due to the uh, the pitch. Do you think this was justified? Well, look, I don't know about the goals per se, but in general terms, I thought the pitch looked pretty ordinary. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the, only the players know how well it, it played or didn't. Um, but it's my opinion that in 2023, we should not be playing international football on artificial surfaces. And uh, particularly at, at a home of um, the Dallas Cowboys, which meant that the pitch was not only shorter than usual, but narrower as well. Um, you know, that all makes that 1% difference to players who are used to playing on natural surfaces and on a full-scale pitch. Uh, maybe it made a difference to the goals. I, I don't know. But in in general conversation, I would say, you know, it's it's strange that we agreed to play on, on an artificial pitch, and not least because... You know, you're looking at players like Martin Boyle, who's only just back in the team after a you know year-long absence, and he's had a very serious injury. Now, fortunately, he came through unscathed, but you know, I can't see that those surfaces are conducive um, uh, not only to good football, but also you know for players who who are coming back from injuries. Now, I know people said that uh, Jackson Irvine's injury was perhaps you know the fault of the pitch. I don't necessarily think that was the case. I think he got his his foot dug into his opponent, which is what caused you know the ankle to roll. But uh, certainly, it was a, it was a risk that probably you know shouldn't have been taken. But it's easy to say with hindsight, and 
you know, commercial realities these days in football seem to mean more than football itself. Uh, perhaps they chose the venue because it was huge, 80,000 capacity, 60,000 Mexicans inside. I'm sure they made a lot of money out of it. Um, is it worth it? Uh, in my book, no. But, um, you know, I don't make those decisions. Simon, uh, we lost Matt Leckie. Well, the Socceroos lost Matt Leckie in the lead-up to ligament injury in his knee. And Jackson Irvine's injury did look quite nasty. And um, there are... Graham Arnold did say post-match there was serious doubt over their ability to join the team for the next international window in October for the matches against England and New Zealand. Um, there's only two uh, matches before uh, the Australians will gather in Qatar for the Asian Cup. Uh, losing Irvine and Leckie, who are prime movers in the team, we know their impact. Uh, Jackson was in actually very good form before he injured himself. What's the, going to be the impact of the loss of leadership and experience? Will it hinder Australia's Asian Cup preparations not having them in camp? Should that eventuate in October? Uh, well, Edge, uh, sorry to pick you up, but there's actually four internationals because there's a couple of World Cup qualifiers as well in, in November. Um, but that being said, yep, I mean, you know, obviously Irvine and Leckie are two very experienced players. I thought Jackson Irvine was terrific, by the way, in the first half. Um, arguably Australia's best. Um, if he is missing, that's a big hole, particularly now that Aaron Moy has retired. Um, I'm encouraged by the advancement of the likes of Keanu Bacchus and Cami Devlin, who we haven't seen a lot of. I'd love to see him play for, for the Socceroos from the off, to be honest, because I think he's a real terrier in midfield, which you know might release Keanu Bacchus to go a little bit further forward. There are other options. Conor Metcalf can play you know, in that position. Um, and there's there's one or two others as well that can fill in. Uh, Leckie, I think, is the injury that's probably a bit more serious. But as I understand it, I think he's going to be out for about six weeks. Um, Jackson Irvine, rolled ankle, you know, a few weeks. He should be okay. Um, but Matt Leckie, particularly given his age, he's, what is he, 32 now? Uh, we know he's a machine physically, but uh, he, had a, he had an injury towards the end of the A-League season as well. So... I think that's probably more of a concern. And, you know, he is a very, very important player for Australia, particularly at major tournaments. You know, we saw that at the World Cup with his goal against Denmark that got the Socceroos through to, you know, the round of 16. So it's a concern. Um, but, you know, as one door closes, another one opens for somebody else. Uh, and the good thing about, you know, what Graham Arnold has done is that he's built good depth and there are options in all those positions. So, I wouldn't be too concerned just yet. And the Asian Cup is still a while away. Um, I, I would hope that both, you know, would be fit for the major tournaments as a bare minimum. Another concern that uh, Graham Arnold has is just the lack of game time for Harry Sutter. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a concern. He's not uh, in the frame at Leicester City under any circumstances at the moment. But um, do you think his lack of game time may have contributed to some of those errors? Well, it's entirely possible. Again, only Harry knows 100%. Um, and I've, I've not really yet heard the full story as to whether for the second goal, Matt Ryan made the call or whether it was Harry's decision to let the ball go. Uh, I think I said in commentary, you know, your instincts, given that it was clearly an easy ball for, for Harry to clear, is that he got a call from the goalkeeper. Um, now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, if it was Harry's decision, then yeah, you know, it's possible that that lack of game time is is a factor in that. I mean, these are split second decisions that players make. Uh, whether his lack of game time is is one hundred percent the answer to it, I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't help. And you know, there was talk of him going to Rangers um, in the transfer window. Now that fell through. Um, it would be nice to see him get you know, back playing. But uh, in the short term, that doesn't seem to be uh, likely. Enzo Maresca, the new Leicester coach, doesn't appear to fancy him as uh, as a defender. Um, so, you know, it's up to Harry to keep plugging away to try and get in that first team or, you know, maybe try and force a, a lone move away. But it's, it's a difficult situation. I, I have to say I was a little bit surprised. Maybe the select Cam Burgess had something to do with this because it was his international debut as well. But I'd have loved to have seen Alessandro Ciccati. Um, he's been in two camps now and we haven't seen him on the pitch yet. Now, maybe he's, he's not particularly trained well or he's got a niggle. 
I, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, uh, if he's one of the longer-term solutions in the heart of defence, then uh, it would be it would be good to have a look at him at some point. Well, you mentioned Cameron Burgess. He got his uh, debut for the Socceroos, 27 years of age, the Ipswich Town defender's been in good form. Um, another towering uh, Scottish-born defender for the Socceroos. But how did you see his game? Obviously, uh, most Socceroos fans are going to be... The talking point is the penalty he conceded and whether, in fact, um, uh, he would have got away with that in the championship uh, in England. But uh, what did you think of his debut? Overall, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I thought he was quite composed on the ball. He was uh, good positionally, made a couple of uh, very good clearances from dangerous balls whipped in, particularly by Antuna on uh, the right-hand side for Mexico. His passing was sound enough. Um, I think aside of, of the penalty, which is obviously a you know, big glitch uh, to, to give away a penalty on your debut, but aside of that... I thought he did okay and, um, you know, is clearly an option um, on the left-hand side of that central pairing. I mean, obviously, Kai Rolls has got first dibs on that. Uh, he had to play left-back because Geordie Boss was absent. Um, Aziz Bayic has, I think, only played an hour of football since he left Dundee United. So, Graham Arnold decided that, you know, he needed another solution at left-back and Kai has played there before. Um, yeah, he had a, a tricky night as well against Antuna, who's a good player. I thought one of Mexico's best on the night. Um, but I, I thought Burgess did fine um, and more than justified his inclusion. Um, the one blemish is, is the giving away of, of that penalty. And, and you, you know, you rightly say maybe he'd have got away with that in the championship. But if so, it's, it's a good lesson for him to learn that uh, perhaps you don't at international level. Well, it's still the positive that we have another player um, has uh, secured his first cap and uh, Socceroos fans can see um, what their defence looks like. Uh, Matt Ryan, he might have trouble looking up the field, this uh, two big blokes in front of him, Simon. <laughs> well, he's certainly going to be well protected at set pieces, isn't he, defensively? Um, whether the uh, communication is there is a different matter because uh, obviously, you know, there was... Uh, there was maybe a portion of blame for, towards Matty for, for both of the goals as well in terms of giving away the penalty for the first one. Um, and as I say, we don't know for the second. But, um, you know, and also maybe the pitch had something to do with that as well. I've heard that mentioned from Arnie that, you know, maybe there was a little bit of indecision from the, from the players all over the field because of the slightly uneven bounce. I sound like a cricket commentator now, don't I? But... Uh, that was certainly the case, I thought, throughout the 90 minutes. You you never could quite tell uh, how or where the ball was going to bounce. And, um, you know, that's what you get when you stitch 100 mats together and, and call it a football field. Not good enough yeah, to me. Disaster. Yep, that is um, not a good thing. I echo the sentiments of your opening comments about the pitch. Um, my last question um, before handing back to Willem is about Martin Boyle. He's one of my favourite Socceroos. Um, I often think what might have been had he been able to be in form and played at the World Cup. Let's hope that he is uh, fit and healthy and in form for the Asian Cup. He really... Do you agree with my assessment that he could tear the Asian Cup apart, Martin Boyle? He could. Um, and obviously, he didn't just miss the last World Cup, but he missed the last Asian Cup as well. Got injured against Oman in the uh, final friendly before that tournament in the UAE. So... He's really missed the boat in terms of major tournaments. Um, and this, I'm sure he'll be looking at and saying, right, this is my stage. Uh, he's in good form for Hibernian. Um, I think by their own admission, they brought him back a little bit sooner than expected, but uh, he seems to be fine physically. Uh, I don't think he dominated quite as much or, or looked quite as dangerous against Mexico as we've seen him before for Australia. But, you know, maybe that's understandable as he is still working his way back. And the fact that Australia didn't have an awful lot of the ball in terms of possession. But when you look at, you know, the, the bare statistics at the end of it, Australia scored twice and he contributed an assist and scored the second from the penalty spot. So, you know, you can't get much better than that. And um, I, I think there's a lot more to come from Martin Boyle. And, and hopefully he stays fit this time and, and gets to play in a major tournament for the Socceroos because he's, he's one of our best. 
Simon, just as an aside, while we have you, the signing of Nick Montgomery as Hibernian manager on a three-year deal. Uh, this is a guy who's who's used our league and our football landscape not only to see out his playing days, but now to build his managerial career. Uh, he and his family are, are citizens of Australia, and he now launches on to greater heights. You speak occasionally of our league perhaps being more respected abroad than it is here. Um, would you say, with, obviously, with what Ange Postacoglu is doing and now Montgomery as well, uh, as a few others, that it does feel like perhaps we're, we're shifting in terms of our own self-worth here in Australia? I wish that was the case, Willem. Um, every day I still read on social media how poor our league is and how terrible our players are and how woeful our clubs are. And, yeah, it's very frustrating because clearly that is not a sentiment echoed overseas because they keep coming nabbing our players and coaches. Mm. So we must be doing something right. Um and I'm look, you know, just on Monty, I'm delighted for him because he has been sensational for the Mariners. Uh, you know, he's he's won the championship, he's got them playing a great style of football, he's brought through a lot of good young kids, some of whom now, and we saw another one with Sammy Silvera getting his debut off the bench, have really benefited from you know his coaching, his encouragement, uh, his man management. So I, I'm pleased for him and Serge Raimondo is number two um, that they've got this opportunity to to go to the Scottish Premier League. And you know as we've seen with Ange Postecoglou, that can lead to even bigger things if you do well in the Scottish Premier League. Hibs are not quite as big a club as Celtic, but still a storied old name in Scottish football circles. And I have no doubt that he'll do a great job there as well. So it's it's great for Nick, but it's it's also a feather in the cap of the A-League. And, you know, maybe at some point the penny will drop that uh, while our league might not be the English Premier League, it ain't half bad because they keep coming nicking our players and coaches. So, you know, we're doing something okay. Agree with you, Simon. Always great to chat. Huge four months coming up for the Socceroos with the Nation Cup at the conclusion and always look forward to hearing you call the action as we go and likewise with that new A-League season, which is fast approaching. So thank you for your time once again. Thanks, guys. Simon Hill there. Stick around on the other side of the break. Rob and Derek will be back with Andrew Todos. We're going to have a bit of a chat about Ukraine and where their football landscape is at uh, and how they are conducting in the European qualifiers as well. Willa, willa, willa. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. We love flavour-packed meals on this show and I just love to cook. I think all of us love to cook. I know... I was talking to Derek during the week about some of the, the meals that he was preparing in the last week. Edge is over there in Bangkok and eating spicy food. Willem comes from a renowned kitchen. His mother, and I know Adam, um, he's a man who just loves a good feed. So if you love to cook, look no further than the amazing range of herbs and spices and change the mood of your food with our friends at Hoyt's. Now, Willem, do you ever find yourself you've been shopping and you've got some leftover, say, protein in the fridge, like some chicken, for example, sake, and you're thinking, I've got to cook this before it goes off. What am I going to do with it? Absolutely not. I hate wasting food, and I also hate eating dull food, Rob, so that's where mm. your friends can come in handy. Exactly. So what I would recommend is the next time you're wandering through the spice aisle, get a few extra spices and put them in the pantry. Just be prepared for that moment, which we did over the weekend. We found ourselves in that situation. So I went for the salt and pepper, the four-colour peppercorn mix, which we know I always love. The chilli powder, some garlic powder, some cumin, smoked paprika and cayenne. And Derek, I made a little spice rub. Rubbed it into the chicken olive oil, pan fried it, put it into the fridge, ate it today on a salad. Delicious. It's all about preparation, isn't it, Rob? You've got to get the spices on before you cook to get the, uh, the best effects. That's exactly right. So each, um, if you're uh, cooking while you're over there, and uh, I know you're not sort of going for all the takeaways and all sorts of stuff, trying to keep yourself healthy, then um, you know we might have to send you a care pack. Yeah, you could. I just wonder if you could send that care pack to Fork and Cork, because that's the place I'm going to tonight with a couple of friends. Um, Fork and Cork is the name of the place in uh, Bangrak. I just miss the Hoyt Herbs and Spices over here. we just got to get them in the local Foodland supermarket. Can you ring <laughs> up the um, Ocado boys and say, hey, Okay, all right. The international expansion. All right, I'll ring Johnny and we'll do that. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles Woolworths, not in Bangkok just yet, and all good independent supermarkets. Fill those empties with Hoyt's spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
Yes, this is Box to Box. Good chat with Simon Hill just now about the uh, Socceroos. More than serviceable result against Mexico over there in Dallas over the weekend. But over the weekend, there was obviously a lot of international football being played in the the break. And and many of those were European qualifiers for uh, Euro 2024, which will end up in Berlin about uh, mid-year next year. And the game that most of us at this side of uh, the world had our eyes on, not only well, obviously not only from a football point of view, was the Ukraine-England match, which was being held in Poland due to uh, the war in Ukraine following the Russian invasion. And I picked up a, a piece of copy from Jonathan Northcroft in The Times, uh, which I mentioned off the top. And as we introduce our next guest, Andrew Todos from Zorya Lodonsk, uh, he, he wrote, for Ukraine in their biggest home game, inverted commas, since Russia invaded, this was more than a draw, more than a game. It was a mighty moment of honour, protected and defiance shown. And we welcome our next guest, Andrew Topotos, from the aforementioned Zoria Lodonsk. How are you, Andrew? Hi, Rob. Fine, thanks. Uh, looking forward to chatting a bit about the game and uh, sort of qualifying so far. Yeah, likewise. And uh, we will get to the game in a moment. But uh, but this game is, is played in the, the halo of, of far greater events uh, that, are, that are taking place in the home nation, obviously played in, uh, in uh, Poland in front of um, what was a, a, a very partisan uh, crowd of, of Ukraine expats. Uh, in so far as its effect, the game and the result, and just the very fact that the game was played uh, in uh, in the circumstances, and, and Ukraine continue to play, uh, what what does it mean from your sources to to the people on the ground who are who are living um, still under the spectre of uh, of the invasion? Well, I think that there was um, a lot of joy, especially from the result, of course, and I feel that a lot of people especially sort of that I know that follow sort of my account and obviously Ukrainian media, the people that watch the match, um, be it in Ukraine or in Poland, they were sort of, there was warm adulation at obviously the atmosphere that was created in the ground. It was very much a home from home atmosphere. And even the likes of Gareth Southgate said that it was one of the best he's witnessed sort of on an international football level. Um, and this is obviously from 40,000 or so Ukrainians that, have had to leave Ukraine, be it through the war or as economic migrants, even before the full-scale invasion. And similarly, there's loads of students that live in um, in Rotslav, where the game took place. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I just feel that there was sort of the sheer passion um, from from the game that it was such a, a welcome performance compared to the reverse fixture at Wembley in March when mm-hmm. Ukraine were playing under a caretaker manager. It was toothless. Um, sort of, there, there, there seemed to be a lack of motivation, desire, and fight to do anything against England. And sort of similarly, with England on the verge of qualifying per se, he could have secured it more or less with a win against Ukraine on uh, Saturday. They ended up, um, Ukraine ended up getting a point out of that, and now themselves find themselves in a good position to qualify automatically for the Euros. And obviously, I feel that. Ukraine making the Euros will be even more of a positive um, meaning to those people back home in Ukraine because what it's going to do is going to give extra visibility to the Ukrainians and to Ukraine as a country if the football team is there. Because obviously we know football, it transcends just sport. It goes into sort of community values, societal uh, talking points and everything like that. And a lot of football fans may not follow the news or current affairs. So just getting to that tournament will be a huge um, possible event that will help obviously gain visibility and sort of refresh the minds of people That because obviously we know that the news cycle go- comes and goes and uh, it's been obviously a year and a half since the full-scale invasion began and uh, there's that war fatigue that's kicking in, especially in the West, obviously in Australia too, and people just sort of need to be refreshed about that. And even just this weekend, just because of that positive result that Ukraine got and obviously the build-up to it against England, it's sort of... Uh, brought that back into the minds of uh, ordinary people that were just watching the game. Yeah, sure did. Um, and listening to Alexander Sinchenko on the the BBC after the match, he he was at pains to uh, to be clear that he and the players uh, 
were very aware of the privilege that they uh, have to to play football and to continue on them with their careers, thanking the Ukraine army as well. So uh, the fact that uh, North Macedonia also did Ukraine a favour by uh, uh, getting a, a similar result against Italy uh, wasn't lost on most of us. So the, the, the likelihood of Ukraine going forward under the uh, the former uh, Spurs manager Sergei Robrov, uh, you, you you noted the the change in playing style. Uh, clearly, this uh, is what the team has under the bonnet when they do play with uh, with some kind of flair and the flair that they're capable of. Uh, is that your expectation that uh, they uh, they will qualify in their own right? Well, uh, I hope so. To say the least, uh, it's been a positive start under Robrov, as you just mentioned. Um, he got two wins in his sort of first two qualifiers in June when he first arrived against North Macedonia away and Malta at home. Uh, obviously, this result against England, one all draw, similar, great, great result against obviously the, the, the leaders. But this week uh, on Tuesday evening in Milan, where uh, I'm currently sort of talking to you guys from, Ukraine have got an even bigger one against, I guess, their rivals for second place, Italy. And yes, that draw from Northern Macedonia um, on the weekend helped Ukraine's causes, but now it's sort of solely in Ukraine's hands to to put it out there, um, get a positive result themselves. I think even a draw might be good enough at the San Siro to then take it possibly into the final game of this group stage in November where Ukraine play Italy at home. We don't know exactly where that's going to be. Maybe it might be in Wroclaw again, obviously due to the success that we saw on the weekend, but it might be anywhere, to be honest, because I think they've got and North Macedonia at home in Prague next month. So it's sort of all over the place. Fingers crossed that that support, wherever it's going to be, will be like a 12th man. But this this group's now all to play for, especially, I think, after that first game where Ukraine lost 2-0 to England. They looked pretty da- uh, dire in terms of their footballing performance. It's all picked up again. Uh, and now it's sort of solely in their hands to, to, get, a, to get a result um, for the remaining fixtures that are, that are left. Can I just talk about a couple of players in the Ukrainian team, probably with diverging uh, performances? Uh, Zinchenko, who was mentioned earlier on, uh, can it be overstated just how important he is, Just uh, not just because of his qual- undoubted quality as a top Premier League standard international footballer, but just his, what he brings to this team? And then by, co- by contrast, um, Mudrich, who came to... Chelsea with such a huge reputation um, and, and, and form for uh, for Donetsk and, and and really hasn't featured for Chelsea or or in uh, the national team in, in any significant way um, recently. So, you know, how, how important is Zinchenko and how important is it that Mudrik remembers how to play football again? <laughs> yeah, so from a Zinchenko point of view, he's one of the leaders of the side. Obviously, playing for Man City over the past few years and then moving to Arsenal too, we've seen the kind of qualities that he's got from a leadership perspective and also from a footballing perspective. And against England or on the weekend, he he was sort of that box-to-box playmaker, playing well defensively as well from obviously his time at left-back and obviously contributed with a goal too, where he's actually got quite a good goal-scoring record for the position he plays in for the Ukraine national team compared to maybe club level where maybe it's slightly harder from left-back. So, yeah, he's he's integral to the side. And when he's in the team, they're, they're a lot better off uh, with him in it. Uh, Mihailo Mudrik, though, as you mentioned, yes, he's not been able to kick on since that move to Chelsea. I think that for whatever reason, um, obviously the player himself has, ha- has been having issues with uh, obviously finding his form. I think he lacks a bit of confidence as well. Um, and then the club situation on top of that. So there's a lot of pressure at Chelsea. We know that the club is a bit of a mess as well. They've not had the best of starts to the season either. Um, sort of a roller coaster. He's had, he's, what has he played under three managers now and he's only joined in January. So he's just not had that consistency and he's not even had the chance, I guess, to play maybe two, three matches in a row from the start. And I feel that maybe that would give him a bit of consistency, even if he obviously starts off slow in one then he can carry on going. And obviously then he transfers to the national team, obviously once every few months. He didn't have his best game against England. That's that's uh, absolutely true. 
Um, but I just feel that there has to be a bit of faith put into him, um, you know, even for a couple of games or something like that, uh, just to ensure that he can maybe kick on from there. Because, yes, he, he's not showing too much at the moment, but I feel that the ability that we saw at Shakhtar when he was playing in the Champions League and even in some previous performances for Ukraine, he, there is a player in there. It just needs to be unlocked somehow. And uh, at the moment, sadly, I don't really have the answers of how, to, of how that's going to happen. Uh, but I feel that maybe a bit of faith from, obviously, Chelsea or, or whatnot might help. And I mean, maybe if he doesn't crack on going into January, for example, or even next summer, alone might do him good. Literally just a fresh start somewhere, slightly less pressure, go and crack on and then be it from there, come back to Chelsea and hit the ground or find a new move. Because, yes, I feel that the main thing that's weighing him down is this massive price tag. Shaq obviously got the deal of a lifetime off him. Um, but Chelsea have, as we know, not been doing too well with their transfer policy, going crazy with all these fees uh, and everything. And Mudrick seems to be another victim of that, per se. And, uh, yeah, let's see what happens going forward. But, I mean, not just Mudrick, there are a number of um, good players in that Ukraine side and uh, some even performing uh, better than him at the moment, too. Just interested to get your assessment of the England performance uh, as well. Uh, the British press or the English press have piled in on Gareth Southgate's side, despite them kind of cruising this uh, this group stage. Um, a lot of people critical of the kind of tepid nature of England's display, which uh, under Gareth Southgate mm-hmm. has been questioned at times. But do you think this was England under par? Potentially, you know, again, this this international break kind of comes at the wrong time with the Premier League just getting back up and running, or or is that doing a disservice to uh, Ukraine's uh, performance? And did Ukraine just nullify England apart from that one moment of magic from from Harry Kane to set up the goal? I mean, I think it might be a bit of a mixture, to be honest. Yes, like you say, this international fixture, especially for sort of the Premier League and uh, the top five leagues, probably does come at the wrong time of the season because it's just as everyone's getting started, they've had about three or four match days. Uh, some have obviously had new moves, so they're adjusting to new lives in different countries, etc. Um, and it's not maybe the optimal time to, to come to an international break and try and, you know, play against a team that's probably more up for it than yourselves in that respect. Um, however, I feel on top of that, Rebrov has shown maybe a bit of a blueprint for the lesser countries, you know, Ukraine included, on how to play against England at maybe a major tournament, for example, at the Euros next year. You know, you sit back, have a low block, and then try and play on the counter. And especially with the kind of personnel selections that obviously a lot of people have been questioning as well of Southgate, Henderson, uh, Harry Maguire starting, then you can try and exploit that. Um, And, you know, especially even if you're maybe not even a lesser side, and one of the more favourites for the tournament, you might fancy your chances against this England team just off the basis that Southgate, you know, especially over the last few tournaments, England have been playing okay getting to the later stages, but then the in-game management to actually adapt to maybe the style of play that the team against you are facing. Um, he doesn't seem to have the ability to shift the team to try and maybe make a positive um, effect on the game, if that makes sense. So. Um, I do understand the uh, the criticism of Southgate and maybe some of the players that played in in that game on um, on Saturday. And who knows? Um, I've got a feeling that this probably is going to be Southgate's last uh, big tournament once uh, England qualify for it. And just one final quick one uh, from me: England. Whatever sport they're playing, they don't often win too many friends for a variety of different reasons, whether it's uh, uh, old um, European rivalries or whether it's the way that the fans sometimes conduct themselves uh, on their tours. But they seem to have found some friends in the uh, Ukrainian uh, team and the Ukrainian fans, by all accounts, the atmosphere in the, the city before the game was excellent. A lot of England fans have reported how they enjoyed enjoyed the game, and even said that they were applauded by Ukrainian fans as they were leading the leaving the ground, which must have been a very unusual 
feeling for traveling England fans who are not not always thanked by uh, by their by their hosts. Um, could you comment just a bit on you know this kind of bond between the two fans, and obviously that bond extends much beyond the uh, the football pitch. Yeah, absolutely. So evidently, Ukraine and England and you know all of the UK that includes that includes Scotland, uh, Wales, Northern Ireland. Um, they have uh, the bond has, I guess, improved exponentially over the past eighteen months. Obviously, due to the big support from the UK in the war, um, sort of with all of the uh, military hardware, the, the training, and everything like that. And as a result, Ukrainians are eternally grateful to the UK because if it really wasn't for the UK per se, with the amount of assistance that they would have uh, got, especially during the early stages of the war, it could have gone uh, terribly in that respect. So uh, there is a lot of debt, per se, an emotional debt, I feel, that Ukrainians have towards the UK. And as a result, that they are, you know, extremely um, thankful um, to them. And as a result, we saw that, yeah, in Rotslav, you go in the centre, there's lots of England fans and Ukraine fans sort of hugging, talking, chatting very friendly nature that maybe you know sometimes you don't really associate with England fans traveling abroad but yeah they, they were on the whole well behaved I saw um I was walking around the sort of city center main square everyone was sort of in good nature good spirits and I feel that even the result was sort of uh, a positive one for, for both sides and I feel that even the England fans were like yeah fair enough um you probably deserve that on the whole and uh yeah, I feel that it's a bond that will probably carry on for, for a long time. And ironically, Ukraine and England have been meeting fairly regularly over the past few years, especially, you know, in the Euros. Um, two years ago, obviously, in this qualifying campaign, a few Ukrainian sides have been playing against British teams too in the Champions League in Europe. And uh, long may it continue, really, because it's always a great uh, com- competitive uh, nature uh, when, when the two teams play on the pitch. And then extremely well-natured off it as well. And before we let you go, 4.45am on Wednesday morning, Australian time, uh, the Ukraine match against Italy at the San Siro. You're already there in Milan. Uh, Spalletti, uh, formerly of Napoli, won the Scudetto, left the south of Italy to a hero's departure, uh, is now in the midst of uh, the ongoing uh, underwhelming performances of the Azzurri, who uh, were famously uh, knocked out of contention for the most recent World Cup in Qatar by a team that's proving to be their nemesis, North Macedonia. <laughs> the yep. the uh, man in between the sticks, Gene Luigi Donnarumma, he, like he was a superstar at Wembley when they won the Euros. Now uh, he, he hasn't got a friend. Uh, all sorts of pressure, probably the best time to play the Italians. Uh, yeah, I think especially with this game being away at the San Siro, it's going to be a special occasion, of course, a historic one for, for, you know, from Ukraine having to play at such a historic ground. Obviously, one that has got many positive memories for Ukrainians due to the links with Andriy Shevchenko there. Mm-hmm. Um, and fingers crossed, like you say, they're in a bit of a crisis at the moment. Transition period under the new manager have not had the most positive results recently under Roberto Mancini either before he left. Um, so, yeah, I feel that this is probably the perfect time. And I feel that Ukraine will be extra motivated to try and get a result, you know, be it a draw or even a, maybe a surprise win, uh, to try and build on, obviously, the positive result that they got against England. And that's what I think is the bare minimum. The only issue is, is that this game comes so quickly after the England game. Mm. They've had literally next to no time to recover. It's pretty warm here, 30 degrees or so. It was 30 degrees in Rotslav when they were playing. A lot of energy was spent in, in that in that fixture. A lot of the Ukraine team, um, be it most of the Premier League players, some have had injuries at the start of the campaign. They've not had the most uh, match practice um, sort of in pre-season either. I think that that might be a slight concern from the Ukrainian perspective just to try and get it over the line in the second game in as many days. But um, under Ebrov, we've seen a lot of resilience and a lot of uh, confidence and more certainty in the way that they play in terms of their game plan tactics. Um, they're more a lot more well rehearsed than under uh, the previous manager that uh, unfortunately Ukraine didn't make the World Cup with in uh, last year. And so we will see. I mean, following the result on Saturday, I'm a lot more positive going into this one. But let's hope that that's not falsely uh, misplaced.
Yes, well, the Italians, if nothing, but not mercurial, so anything could happen, couldn't it, Andrew? So, look, we'll let you go now. Enjoy <laughs> the, the game. Uh, for those of our listeners who uh, aren't familiar, get on to Zoria Lodonska, which is easy to find, uh, Z-O-R-Y-A, London. SK, if you want to spell it, .com, and then follow Andrew at Andrew Todos, T-O-D-O-S, uh, on, on X um, to, to follow uh, not only his football musings, but his observations on Ukraine and the war as well. So, Andrew, thanks again for, for coming on, mate. We'll, uh, we'll make sure the next uh, time we talk doesn't have such a big break in between it, and uh, you stay well. And uh, from those of your friends, of which there are many in Australia, uh, more power to Ukraine and the, the football uh, team as well as they fly the flag for for, for the nation in uh, in such difficult times. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, uh, enjoy yourselves down there. And uh, cheers. We will, Andrew Todos. Okay, stick around. More football World Cup corner after the break on Box to Box. Hey, yeah, it's Chemist Warehouse time. And I know I talked to you about this last week. I went to the MCG three times over the weekend because my membership finally came through and I thought I'm going to get value for money. So I loved watching Collingwood win on Thursday night and then went on Friday and on Saturday too. So I was celebrating the footy finals. But if you want to celebrate right from home or walk into the store, this half price on big brands like Swiss, Caruso's Go Healthy, Henry Bloom's, Naturopathica, Bioglan and Wagner Willem. Uh, there's also half price on Microgenics, Ethical Nutrients, Thompson's, Nature's Own, and Nature's Way. Excludes bulk sizes. What are you going to go in there and buy one? Uh, I'm always on the Voost. I'm always on the protein powder. And I have also uh, been... Uh, well, I was struggling towards the end of my local footy season, Rob, and I, mm. shin splints were the issue that have, uh, that have me waylaid considerably over the past couple of months. But I went in there and I bought a couple of heel cups you're going to have to help me out with the uh, with the brand, but they are most certainly available at Chemist Warehouse at a good rate, mm-hmm. and they've gotten me through the back end of my local season. So and I couldn't mm-hmm. be happier once again uh, and more thankful of our friends in those nice pressed blue shirts. You love those pressed blue shirts, don't you? You always talk about them, and that's a key. If you want to work at Chemist Warehouse, you've got to wear the pressed blue shirt. And Derek, have you got a top-up of any of the spices lately, mate? Not spices. It's not from Hawaii. It's the spices, the turmeric. And buy turmeric tablets for Chemist Warehouse. Any, t- any vitamins for you, mate? Well, Rob, you're always having a go on us for getting rival brands into these libraries, but you've managed to do it yourself <laughs> this time, brother. I'm probably going to go down and top up on some B-Fit foods, which I know are available in certain chemist warehouse stores at the moment, um, and they're absolutely um, fantastic to, uh, you know, if, if you want to kind of stay trim and get yourself on a good health plan, B-Fit foods want to do. Mm, yes, I've heard a lot about B-Fit Foods. That is a brand you want to get in and get a lot of and uh, you'll eat well and you'll lose some weight along the way and stay trim. Remember, in addition to visiting your local Chemist Warehouse store, you can order online and click and collect to save time or choose fast delivery for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yeah, great to chat to Andrew, and we were talking off air about what a different man he sounds from the last time we talked uh, in the shadows of the beginning of the war. Uh, he was um, a, a very, well, he sounded for good reason, depressed, upset, sad, but he sounded a little bit more uplifted and uh, and ebullient, um, if you can describe it that way, um, with uh, the the good vibes that uh, that the football team of of the uh, the Ukrainian nation is is giving their their troubled country back on. Okay, we've got a few other things to talk about before we wrap this up, Willem. We can still call it World Cup corner if we like. We've already been through that, but uh, you know we're in the shadows of qualification, so that's what it is, and that's what we're going to keep calling it. Yeah, and we're going to look ahead to where we go from the World Cup, Rob. And Derek belted administrators in the uh, in the news segment, but we do need to discuss them uh, at some point. Chris Niku has this week announced he will not seek re-election at November's AGM. Uh, he is, of course, Football Australia's chair. That will bring to a close for his five years in the position and nine years all up on the board. He stated, it's important for an organisation to get fresh perspectives. This shift at such a pivotal time will bring in new energy and ideas, which are crucial in the ever-changing world of sports and leadership michael 
Yeah, I remember when Chris was elected uh, to the chairmanship of Football Australia, it was in the wake of Stephen Lowy's uh, demise. And a lot of people said, Chris who? Um, he was a consensus uh, uh, administrator. He um, he racked up a, a fairly significant scorecard in his time, obviously unbundling the A-League, A-Leagues from the uh, Football Australia asset base uh, to give the control of the professional game to the club owners. Uh, that, in fact, was a financially a very good deal for Football Australia and helped set them up for the future. Not only that, um, he obviously uh, was instrumental in his administration in securing the FIFA Women's World Cup, and we've all lived and loved the legacy of that. Um, not to mention uh, the Socceroos' uh, high watermark at uh, the Qatar World Cup. So um, he, uh, he did a good job uh, representing Australia in Asia, he did a good job marshalling the uh, stakeholders in the game uh, in a single direction. I think he will go down as um, a very competent and um, popular leader, albeit one who preferred to do his work uh, out of the spotlight. Obviously, the big controversy in his time was uh, the dismissal of uh, Alan Stagic and uh, the sort of um, shadow that... Uh, uh, cast over the sport for a long period of time, and on a, and that probably um, is a little bit of a window into Lisa Devanna's tweet when it was announced. She tweeted, "Nick off." Yes, no, not surprising to see Lisa pop up in that manner. Rob, from fact to a bit of red hot speculation over the weekend. Strong rumor has emerged that Danny Townsend, of course, the head of the APL, will be leaving his position. Our Good old mate Ray Gatt has tweeted that it is 100% correct that Townsend will depart to take up a job in the Middle East. Uh, Rob Gatti had an all-time weekend on the couch watching the NRL finals, the Socceroos, a few political opinions. and thought he might drop that one in about Danny as well. Yeah, I reckon if Channel 10 are looking for someone to get onto Gogglebox, they could do worse than, uh, yes. than Ring Gaddy. I reckon he'd be fantastic just to watch him watching whatever it is he's watching with his phone in his hand, pinging off little bullets here and there because he, he, he he's strong on his opinions and he, and he loves to respond to people who comment on what he says as well. But Gaddy is... He's a respected voice in football in this country. He uh, has uh, uh, written and did write. He's retired now, as we all know, for many, many years for a number of publications. And uh, and when he does go out on a limb and and uh, publish a rumour uh, that um, somebody of the stature of Danny Townsend uh, is is not long for this job, then you've got to take it seriously. Uh, so if it is the case, uh, the, the current CEO of the Australian Professional Leagues um, will sadly be tarnished with the, the legacy of the grand final decision and the fallout of that that ended up with a, a Melbourne victory uh, fan in jail. Uh, obviously, none of that to do with Danny Townsend, but uh, for a decision, administrator's decision to result in somebody ending up in jail and a player uh, being attacked on, on the ground, is uh, uh, it, it's a visual marker of the... the, the uh, uh, of just how poor the decision was. Certainly, the decision didn't warrant that behaviour, but it's a it's a picture uh, for that is be seared into our memories forever. So, uh, look, Danny Townsend, from our experience, was always professional, um, a decent guy, spoke well, uh, administrated well when he uh, he stuck to his knitting um, at Sydney FC as well. Um, I for one, hope that he can rehabilitate his career uh, in the Middle East and and find another gig in future because uh, ultimately I think um, that there are a number of clubs who um, have just thrown him under the bus uh, uh, with um, with no um, concern for you know the fact that it, uh, it, it would have caused him and his family a, a lot of pain. Edge, um, your views on that? Uh, you've said a lot there, Rob. Um, there's some I agree, some I disagree. But look, it's all speculation. Let's wait till there's an announcement. But if he is going to the Middle East, good luck to him. Um, yes, uh, he had a troubled tenure uh, as leader of the APL at a time when they were established themselves. And, you know, I'm, I think I'm critical of the leadership of the APL generally across a number of fronts. But uh, uh, Danny will, uh, will forever be remembered for the man who sold the grand final and uh, set off a string of dominoes, as you mentioned, Rob.
And Derek, to close, Germany's football administration have taken an unprecedented step. Their manager, Hansi Flick, has been given just that, the Tijuana Brass. They lost 4-1 to Japan, uh, and he is remarkably the first person to have been dismissed from the role ever. Uh, they are hosting next year's European Championship, so they're not playing the qualifiers, but they've lost four of their last five. 12 wins of 25 is the uh, the final result of Flick's tenure. Uh, 11 men have managed the, uh, the, the German national side after it was, uh, well, since 1926. Sepp Herberger through to Otto Nertz, Jürgen Klinsmann through to Yogi Lowe. Nobody has ever been sacked until right this moment. Yeah, it obviously just says uh, how dire the situation was. I know Edge is going to talk about this in our stoppage time, so to quote my own phrase, I'm not going to knock over his um, bowling pins. Um, But it's interesting uh, looking at um, who might be coming in. One is uh, Julian Nagelsmann, who is currently without work at the moment. You'd think that he is a big favourite. Van Harlow, of course, had some success at Bayern Munich, is also on the uh, on the list, as well as Miroslav Klerser, the uh, prolific goal scorer, and Lothar Mateus, the legendary captain from the 80s and 90s. So we all talk about Flick's demise in stoppage time, but it will be interesting to see who Germany appoint next, particularly with that hosting a tournament. They've got to get this one right. Well, I'm not going to join you guys for stoppage time, but Edge, um, I'll give you a little lead in to say that Hansi Flick has been demand shafted, and that is the end of the section for him. Okay, boys, um, I will sit back and listen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Roberto. Willem, well done. Thank you, Roberto. Derek, thank you. I thought Hansi had been given the Flick. Aha, well done. I even got that one. And Adam Maloney, thank you again. Absolute first-class uh, panel operator, producer, and button presser extraordinaire. Now, if you have a moment, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your favourite shows and make sure you subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on X, the artist formerly known as Twitter, and like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.